The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. over the past few months that the bulk of Canadian government resources really have been focused on addressing the COVID-19 crisis. And that has some concerned that Canada may be unintentionally leaving the back door open to serious state-sponsored cyber attacks. Now, late last week, the Prime Minister of Australia announced that, quote, the country had been under a wide-scale attack across all levels of government, essential services, and private businesses. Well, Packet Labs, which is a collective of ethnic hackers believes the real danger of cyber attacks in this country has increased exponentially because of remote working during the pandemic. With more, we are joined by Richard Rogerson, who is a managing partner at Packet Labs. Richard, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh all right. Well, first off, uh, let's get to this. Ethical and hacker. So, <laughs> I know a lot of folks would suggest that those two words don't always go together, but your work is helping companies find flaws, find um, find uh, weaknesses in their security. Can you give us an idea, um, a little bit more of what it is that you do and what you're trying to help, how you're trying to help? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So... At Packet Labs, we're engaged to help businesses improve the security of their overall business, and generally that's through a simulation. So we look at the environment as an attacker, and we try to find ways that you know they could be compromised. And we get engaged through different uh, different means. It could be they're launching a new e-commerce site, they want to shore up on their defenses, and they want to see what happens. Um, we also get engaged where it's more of a covert operation. They want to understand... Um, can someone break into the business? And they tell no one in the business about it. They want to explore and see, almost like a cyber fire drill. They want to explore what, what happens. How do our IT staff respond to the type of an incident? Um, how do they contain something like this from happening? Um, and what is the process? Are they following the process? And if there's any gaps, they want to know what they are and understand how to fix them. So, Richard, we know that um, that Australia targeted by uh, what's being called a state-sponsored cyber attack, uh, all levels of government. Can you tell us about that attack and, and what happened there? Sure, yeah. So, uh, late last week, they broke the story that um, it, it sounded like they were, they, were on, they were ongoing attacks, and they've kind of got to a point where they really wanted to um, notify the public and, and, more importantly, the businesses, you know, that these attacks are underway. And you know, looking at the industries that are being impacted, um, I mean, it's government across the board, it's uh, you know, political groups across the board, there's private enterprises, there's, there's really no limit to the scope of these attacks. And, and my thoughts on this is that they're going, coming out to the public to really announce this because the attacks are likely becoming more successful. So in an effort to try and shore up some of these uh, gaps they may have in cybersecurity, they're trying to promote um, knowledge of these types of attacks to help improve things. So what are what are the attackers trying to find? What are they trying to get? Yeah, great question. I think 
it's really hard to tell that right now. Um, some of the speculation has been centered around um, they could be trying to steal intellectual property, and uh, they, that could be if they had severed trade deals, for example, with um, various companies in Australia. Uh, the other thing could be is it could be just a show of force. You know, they um, it sounded like there's some tension surrounding COVID-19, and you know, thinking far ahead, this could be a re- you know response to their investigation on COVID-19 and saying, well, you know let us show you what we're capable of and we don't know if that's the case but you know, there's only a few countries who would be capable of this wide scale of an attack okay so richard you're you're leading into my next question and so who would be behind it what countries would be behind it we hear russia we hear china uh would it be one of those two and who else are involved uh in, in these kind of attacks yeah, so there's a number of countries that really have the capabilities of doing this type of an attack. As well, um, a lot of the operations that we see from, say, Canada the U.S., a lot of them are very covert in nature and they're not noisy. I think the style of the attacks that we're seeing, and I think the, the volume of them, they would really lend themselves to, I think, China's target number one. I think they would likely be the group who's, who's behind these attacks. But you look at any other any other country that could be capable. I mean, you're looking at you know, the likes of North Korea. You're looking at Iran. You're looking at Russia. Um, you're looking at one of those four. Um, and I think, um, just given everything that's going on, it really lends itself to you know China being behind this. With the tensions they had with Australia, it's seeming like that is the okay. right fit for the, the actor. So, um, from what I was reading, that a number of these attacks um, uh, kind of expose some vulnerabilities with some different programs, including a Microsoft, uh, SharePoint, and Citrix, um, and, and they're described as copy-paste compromises. What is that, and is it new? No, it's not new. Um, copy-paste compromise, uh, essentially what they're getting at is that the attacks well, they may be orchestrated in a very sophisticated manner. They didn't require sophisticated means to perform. So they're leveraging exploits, um, so computer programs that are used to take advantage of a vulnerability that someone else has written. So they're not leveraging their own private collection of, let's say, digital weapons. They're, they're leveraging the expertise of an open source community. Someone else mm. wrote the tool, and they're just leveraging the expertise of that group. Um, and it, the, the question comes down to, did they need to use more covert? And I think if it's a show of force using pre-canned um, um, exploits that someone else has written, it really, um, they wouldn't really need to be covert. They really want to be noisy. So um, making as much noise as possible and tripping off as many alarms as possible is probably the, the impact they were looking for. Interesting. Richard Rogerson joining us this afternoon, managing partner at Packet Labs, um, a collective of ethical hackers um, who work with companies to expose vulnerabilities in their systems. Now, in the wake of this attack, the Australian Prime Minister um, urged businesses there to shore up their defenses, stating that malicious activity was also seen globally. And... um, you have said that Canada clearly needs to take that warning seriously and get our house in order. Um, where are, where do you think the vulnerabilities are in this country, or is that is that a book too long to read right now? 
I think that, yeah, I think it might be a book too long to read at this point, but I think if we look at it, there's there's definitely some opportunities in a lot of the private organizations. I think the government has done a fairly good job of tightening things down, but there's always room for improvement. A lot of companies, from my experience, they, they really look for something to be mandated for them to do. So whether it's, you know, looking at uh, keeping up to date with security patches, deploying two-factor authentication, and really yeah. subjecting their network and overall business to a pen test, a penetration test is what we call it. Um, they haven't been mandated to do so. So it's, it's something that they only look to explore a lot of these security controls if something happens. And what's interesting is the average cost of a data breach in Canada from 2019 was roughly $4 million. That's wow. a significant cost. And it, really, without having an overarching mandate for this type of an activity, a lot of people, you know, a lot of businesses are, are cutting corners because, you know, revenues are down and so forth. There is a program in the Canadian government that was launched last year, I believe in August, called the Cyber Secure Program. And it's a certification that they've announced for you know, small and medium-sized businesses. Um, there's some really good foundational controls in there and things that they should be doing. But I don't know if that necessarily has been as broadcasted to the small and medium business uh, community <laughs> as far as you know, mandating that certain things are done and certain steps are taken. Uh, just given the potential for impact. Richard, are, are certain areas or certain businesses, like certain sectors or certain businesses, do you think that they would be more likely, or, you know, which ones would be more likely to be attacked compared to others? Great question, yeah. I think there's, you, you kind of have to look at us through the lens of what is the impact that the attacker would be looking for. And if you look at it um, in that, with that perspective, a cyber attack right now in healthcare would be particularly devastating. Uh, you look at mm. you know, the potential for um, reduction in capacity of the healthcare facilities. Um, ransomware is a type of malware that basically locks up the system and prevents you from being able to access it. So you look at healthcare facilities across the United States being impacted by this, and as well Canada, it's actually reduced healthcare capacity to the point where it is actually caused a spike in the amount of uh, deaths due to, you know, heart attacks because, you know, they can't get, they can't get care fast enough. So I think healthcare is definitely a, an industry that really um, needs to make sure that everything's in line. Uh, there's others that, you know, looking at a supply chain of, say, yes. um, production of controlled goods. Steel is another industry that, you know, could use um, a lot of investment in cybersecurity and um, managed service providers. And a lot of small to medium-sized businesses lay the leverage um, a service provider to help um, provide IT services. And if any one of those would be compromised, it's not just one target they'd have access to. It's, you know, 20, 30, maybe it's 100. Uh, so you look at compromising one company and end up having access to over 100, that it becomes quite devastating. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, you know, the company that I work for, we have to do um, security um 
uh, programs we have to run every three months we have little seminars that we have to go through with all and then learning about different things about uh, phishing and about uh, ransomware all of that sort of all of that sort of thing and at first I kind of rolled my eyes thinking oh gosh you know this is a waste of time but it's not I've learned a lot about it and just you know even just giving pause for a second to think should I click on that or not um, and so I, I'm pleased that the company that I work for is is using all of this when we talk about VPNs when we talk about two two um, two factor authentication what are you calling on the Canadian government and and what do you suggest uh, that the Canadian government and Canadian businesses do right now to protect themselves? I think the Canadian government um, maybe needs to broadcast the cybersecurity program a bit bit more to help bring raise awareness for small and medium-sized businesses. Mm-hmm. A lot of the small and medium-sized businesses, they cut corners because they really just, they don't have the budget to, to pull off a lot of these controls. Um, I think overall, there's a number of controls that you know businesses should look to apply. Um, part of those would be exactly what you're saying is you know rolling out security awareness training and help bring to light you know what are some of the symptoms that this email may be phishing. You know, is there a sense of urgency? Mm-hmm. Is there typos in the email? Um, does it look like it's too good to be true? Are they asking for sensitive information like your credit card or a gift card or something like that? Um, as well, two-factor authentication. Um, a lot of the phishing campaigns that we design, as well as any other attacker, we ask for passwords. Because if we have a password to an environment, we can log in as those users. And having you know, having a lot of campaigns successful, if we were to have a control in place like two-factor authentication, um, having stolen someone's password, I can potentially make no use of it because I need the other factor of authentication. Yeah. I need that token. I need that... SMS message. I need some other way to authenticate myself. And if you know we're running up against an environment that has that control, it makes those attacks a lot more difficult. Um, obviously, keeping up to date with security patches is by far one of the most important. But it just comes down to users being the weakest link. So um, reinforcing a lot of those um, security awareness training through attack simulations, like a penetration test, where we would actually try to break into the environment and understand what are some of the gaps. Is it a control? Is it, you know, is our antivirus on our computers effective? And I think some of those questions are very difficult to answer without a simulation, without a group trying to break in and really understand what are some of the gaps. And that's why I compare it to almost like a fire drill. We want to understand that we have enough controls to protect our businesses, and I think um, that's a big part of it. Richard Rogerson joining me this afternoon, the managing partner at uh, Packet Labs. It's a company that helps uh, businesses uh, shore up their online security. It's a, it's a group of ethical hackers. I, I love that description um, when they're describing the work that they do. Richard, one of my listeners says, you know, when we look at these these coordinated attacks, for example, what, in ha- what happened in Australia recently, this question says, do we not have hackers that could get into their system and then screw them up somehow is there you know what kind of work is being done to try and, and trace and and maybe i don't know retaliate um against these people who are or who are pulling off these attacks yeah that's, that's a really good question and i think if we look at it uh, the real struggle with um hacking back is kind of the way we look at it the real struggle with that is it's very hard to 
to be definitively accurate, to know exactly who's attacking us. Because you look at a cyber attack, and we could break into Iran for the purpose of attacking China and then make it look like Iran did it, right? So there's this web of we don't really, we can't really prove it. So hacking back is, you know, obviously against the law, and it becomes very difficult to do that type of an attack. Um, So I think it becomes very challenging to really navigate some of those requirements. While it would be... Um, would, I think it would be a lot of, uh, it would be very helpful to take that approach. Yeah. Um, it becomes very tough to navigate some of the laws surrounding it, um, just given the lack of uh, um, certainty that, you know, exactly who's behind the attacks. And I think that's why they haven't come out right accusing uh, China, ah. because, you know, making a bold statement like that, um, would come with some fairly <laughs> severe repercussions. Of it would. So I think that absolutely, it, yeah, they want to avoid that. Uh, before I let you go, I've got about ninety seconds. Someone wants to know. Uh, the question is, what is the state of ransom attacks on data these days? What does that look like? I think what's interesting about that is that uh, ransomware is it's kind of its own business model now, where you know attackers are making software where you know. People with relatively low skill can, you know, use this as a service. They can buy ransomware as a service and then start sending out payloads to different groups. And then, you know, they have a mechanism for them to exchange either gift cards or Bitcoin for money. So they turn it into a business. And the challenge that we have with that right now is that cyber security insurance is starting to pay out. You know, mm. they're they're paying out ransomware claims, which is then funneling. And increasing the size of the ransomware business itself. So it, it's kind of snowballing to a point where ransomware is a very successful business model. You know, if, if a business in Canada and abroad are compromised, they go to their insurance company and they say, I've been compromised, the ransom is $100,000, and they just pay it out. And then the, yeah. the cycle continues. So that's where we're struggling with right now. It's, it's like game of cat and mouse, but, you know, being funded by insurance companies makes it very difficult for us as, uh, the good guys to to really get all like up because we're we're up against the wall here. Richard, I'm going to have to leave it there uh, right now. I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thanks for your expertise on this front. And uh, I'm going to let everyone know if they want to find out more about Packet Labs, they can do so. The website is packetlabs.net. Richard, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show today, Dick Gillen.